Welcome to the better half of the Dead Format, episode 82. My name is Ian McEwen, and I'm joined with resident polymath Zach Turgeon, and we're here to discuss the legacy metagame. Polymath? We're still going with Polymath? Bro, well, on short notice, you were the, the one person I could think of who would know enough about the legacy metagame to pinch hit here. We're, we're on a bit of a baseball kick on this podcast, and we needed a pinch hitter, and you are the man who stepped up to the plate. Uh, I'm confused. What's baseball? <laughs> oh, no, I'm kidding. I actually know an incredible amount about baseball, way too much. But... I was about to say. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, though my focus has been mostly on Pioneer for, you know, uh, pro play related jazz recently. I can't help but, you know, still watch and follow Legacy. It's too Are you good. going to Phoenix? Yes, I am. Oh, awesome, man. Yep. Good luck. Yeah, it's uh, going to take a lot of luck. So. I mean, there's probably going to be a ton of people there. Yeah, it's going to be a ton of people, but hopefully it's a good time. I'd imagine, I've actually been playing, I don't want to get too far into this because we do have a lot to talk about, but I've actually been playing a good bit of Pioneer myself. Oh, really? What have you been enjoying? Probably, if I had to guess, I would say the same deck you're playing, which is Green Black Delirium. Uh, That is not what I've been playing. I've been playing playing a lot of Mono Black Vampires, actually. Interesting. Yeah, but that's enough Pioneer. Back Back to Legacy, that's what we're here for. Exactly, bro. So yeah, we really appreciate it. I'm sure our listeners will be happy to hear about this. Tom was very happy. We left off on which decks we would be playing this weekend for the Leaving Legacy 6. So obviously you're not going to be commentating this time if you're going to Phoenix, right? Phoenix is in two weeks. I will be commentating this time. Oh shit, my bad. Yep. I lost track of uh, the weeks there. Yeah, not a problem. And besides, we all know what I'd be playing anyway. Let's be real about this. <laughs> uh, but what are you guys going to be playing? So... Basically, looking at the metagame right now, the decks that are that I'm more, most worried about are breach decks in general. Sure. Lands as a as a deck. Depths is is a smaller part of that. I'm really afraid of lands right now because we know there's a lot of lands pilots in Acton and. Yeah, generically, there's a there's a lot of uh, tabernacles running around in New England. Yeah, and it seems good right now. Then it would just be like the typical what you expect from Etsy, but basically, I'm considering between Rip Helm. Okay. Because you get to main deck rips and sideboard ley line of the voids, and I'm very worried about the graveyard right now. Uh, apparently, but if you are worried about the graveyard, that's certainly a good place to be. Yeah, or Delver decks. Delver decks that play Oko, so Rug or Bug, Delver. Rug or Bug, okay. Those are my one through three, and I'm sort of entertaining the idea of playing like one of those Soul Heart or Vile decks, like the Esper Vile decks that have been doing doing well lately. Uh, those are the like Bahara thing? Yeah, he was the one who initially started working on it, and somebody else has put up some great results recently with it. So it's like four meddling mage, four strix, four recruiter of the guard. Yeah, yeah, I've seen those things floating yeah. around. Yeah. Uh, it's certainly, I think personally I'd rather have a lot of reps under my belt for that one. That one seems like it could have a lot of interactions that you may miss that could lead to some wins or losses. Oh, 100%, absolutely. And it seems like it would take a long time to, to sit there and figure out the lines on right. the fly, right? I played my fair share of Mog Catcher, and the lines that you would have to jump through when you could search for six cards were insane. Never mind when you can search for, like, 20. Yeah, and where I just left off with Tom, actually, where I was talking about Meddling Mage, and how I feel like it's probably the most difficult time ever to play Meddling Mage right now, because there's there's not really, like, congealed stock lists, like, with Breach decks in general. Like, what do you, you know, like, is right. this Enlightened Tutor? Like, what Enlightened Tutor package could they have? Is this... 
any, right. any kind of Bomberman variant that, that, that I've seen pop up, Echo of Eons, or is this just like regular Storm, or is I playing like the Delver variant? There's so many Breach decks, and then there's like Verdict versus Terminus, there's Dead of Winter versus uh, Toxic Deluge, there's tons of variants in decks right now. Exactly, exactly, and just in combo decks in general right now are very much spread out versus being four ofs. So you end up in these situations where if you name one thing and they have the other, you're going to die anyways, and you're going to feel real dumb when your hate card doesn't win. Exactly, bro. Veil of Summer versus Silence, and there's Arms Chant, you know? Right, or you name Breach and they just do it naturally, stuff like that. Exactly, bro. So I I really don't think I'm going to end up playing that deck, even though that does happen to be the deck I have slave at the moment. I think I'll I'll play either Rip Helm or Bug Delver, honestly. Uh, I think, you know, Bug Delver is probably the, you know, quote, quote, better of the decks, but if you're going to take your shot, and if you're really worried about graveyards, then obviously Rip Helm's going to beat the hell out of them. Well, there's this other angle to it where tons of people are playing Breach decks online right now because it's, it's the fun new thing, right? Yes. But there's all the rental services, and Breaches are like 250 online right now. They're not that expensive in paper, but they're like seven or eight bucks. But you have to have LEDs, you know what I mean? Like right. you have to own these kind of obscure cards. Yeah, like, you're probably not like getting computers. any breach decks out of people who weren't just storm pilots prior. Right. So is it really going to be you know greater than three or four percent? I doubt moment? it. I doubt it too. So paper legacy, especially at a local level, is just a lot of people playing what they want to play. So, generically, I think reading a metagame is a lot harder, because the difference between having 10% of the room be Black Red Reanimator and 20% of the room be Black Red Reanimator is three extra people decided to show up. You know, one guy got his day off work or whatever. Exactly, bro. And just because, in a large-scale thing, things even out. But in a small, local scale, it becomes a lot harder to predict a specific metagame. Well, another reason that you popped into my head for pinch-hitting on this episode is I saw a tweet today by that dude Phil uh, Mangaralock, that guy. Oh, yes, the uh, the Death and Taxes guy. Yeah, he said that he's been winning at an 80% clip with Blood Moon in the past two weeks. Shh, don't tell anyone. People have forgotten to, you know, respect it again. There were zero Astrolabes in the Top 32 of the Showcase Challenge, the first one, I yep. believe. So, Blood Moon... Is that just, like, uh, the move for this week, or are people aware of it? I don't hate it. Again, um, I think in paper there will be more Astrolabes than there will be in that Showcase Challenge. Uh, that said, Astrolabes not the hardest card to beat in the world because you're also a 4 card deck, and generically, if your opponent's wasting their time spending a lot of, like, actual mana on very little effects, you can overpower them as opposed to try to lock them out. Exactly, and I mean, you win the die roll, it's still a one-drop. Right, exactly, that works too. You know, sometimes you just win even though they have it. Yeah, so that's kind of, you know, going towards Bug Delver, but that's like me forgetting about Blood Moon, basically. You know, this is what, I guess, Blood Moon pilots are counting on and doing well with. Hey, no one's asked me for the deck so far, if you want it. It's good to to know, man. (laughs) You you could sit there and your first round opponent. Well, I guess they might expect it now, but <laughs> it'd certainly be an interesting switch. That would uh, for sure. So yeah, I uh, I was kind of interested to hear that. It did make sense once I read it, but I wanted to obviously you're the expert here, so I wanted to run that by you. No, that makes that makes a lot of sense right now. 
um, as people are devolving into having like these breach combo decks, like you said, playing things like uh, a Moon Stompy or a um, a Bomberman with prison elements and stuff like that, ways to get just enough hate on the board and then win before they can get dig their way out of it. Right, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So, I never asked you this. Do you have any, uh, like, nieces or nephews or anything? Like, any siblings with kids? Uh, no, I just have a sister, but she doesn't have any kids. Uh, any cousins? Any young kids in your family right now? Yeah. Okay. Do you do you know when, like, your, your family member will be like, hey, can you hold the baby for a second? Yes. And then, as you take the baby, they're like, oh, by the way, he has a dirty diaper. Like, you need to change that. And he has an eight, so can you water some formula? Basically, that's the situation you're in right now because we're, we're going to review the online competitive play and a little bit of the deck dump tonight. And we haven't done that for three weeks. So Ooh. Tom's way, ahead on his, way behind on his work, and you're picking up the slide. Yeah, these things happen. He's got a busy <laughs> life. He does, and he, he's had a few too many Coronas. I think he's picked up a virus. Ooh, really? We're going, we're going with those sick. jokes? Yeah, it was bad. Right? Oh, yeah. That's all I can think of. Cut up the limes, get the boomer jokes in, gotcha. <laughs> so, yeah, basically, the competitive play online, because we're going to be using some different terminology, we haven't actually talked about this yet. Okay. It's been restructured. There, there used to be the challenges, and you got enough QPs, and then you played in, what were they called? The playoffs? like the uh, Yeah, it was the like Mox playoff stuff. and Format playoff, yeah. And yep. then it fed up into the format championship. Right. And now it's it's redone. It's It sort of resembles that system, but it's a little different. You've got showcase challenges. Yes. Which happen six times? Is that what it is? I think it was five or six, yeah. Something along those lines. I don't have the numbers directly in front of me. Yeah. But uh, it's I believe it's six times. Yeah. And they cost 40 QPs to enter. And first through eighth qualify. Or you can also qualify. This is qualifying for the showcase qualifier. But you can also qualify through a showcase last chance, which is 40 QPs and an additional 30 tickets. And yep. you just have to go 5-0 in that. Right. It's almost very similar to how GPs work, where if you show up on Friday and you want your buys into that, then you need to win one of these last chance qualifiers. Except these are, you know, individual locked events where you need the QPs, but you can also get in on, like, the last chance qualifiers. Right, yep. So then there's the showcase qualifier, which, as we mentioned, happens six times a year. First place in that will get you a PT, a regional PT invite, and invite to the mocks as well. Yep. Um, and then there are two times in a year there are what are called showcase opens, which are truly opens. And it'll be fun to see how many people show up for this because first place is PT and mocks, and second place is PT. Yes. These are, again, incredibly similar to, like, GPs or, like, SCG Opens or something like that, except it's just going to be online. Yeah, you it's know, pretty wild, man. They're just having a 40-ticket, go in, see if you can win, earn your prizes. Nothing fancy about it, just a big old one-day tournament. And those aren't QP-gated at all, as far as I can tell. Uh, nope, I haven't seen anything on that. There are also two PTQs that are 40 QPs, and similarly, you qualify for the PT, and then the mocks, which will be three times a year, eight players, 70K, winner advances to the PT finals rather than the regional. Yeah, that's very nice value if you can find yourself getting into the mocks. 
It really is. So there's more structure. It, it might seem a little weird, and it is, honestly, it is a little confusing to follow. And they didn't name these things terribly well with like qualifying for an event called the qualifier. But right, it's it's a tiered system. They've been moving more towards that in all of their organized play now that we have like the players tour and then the players tour finals and then worlds after that it's more of a tiered system so that things don't get overcrowded uh it is a little bit of a nightmare just learning things but if the system stays in place long enough then people will learn it it's more of an issue of the system's changed so much over the past two years that no one has any idea what's going on yeah dude it's fucking crazy right now by the way were you in jersey this past weekend yes i was how'd you do uh i played I didn't play the main event. Um, oh. Well, I have the, again, Phoenix in two weeks, so right. I thought it was a better use of my time to just play all of the three Pioneer PTQs they had. Did they actually go off? Oh, they were several hundred people. Oh, yeah, I know. I, I just saw that they were delayed and stuff. Oh, yeah, one was delayed by an hour and a half. That was it. It wasn't actually... Well, it's not too bad. It wasn't as bad. The, it was very busy there on uh, Saturday, and... That speaks more to Magic being big in a multi-faceted game, because there were, you know, people playing Commander sitting out in the lobby, just like on the carpeted floor. Uh, people were just wanted to play Magic in all of its forms. So that seems like a good thing more than a bad thing, but yeah, there was some issues with that. But yeah, everything went off. Um, I did fairly well on the weekend. I didn't top eight any of them, but I think my combined record was probably around like a 70% win rate, somewhere in there. Nice. Maybe, maybe a little higher. But yeah, overall, I, I liked the feel of the format and whatnot. It, it was a good time there. Awesome, man. So yeah, the uh, the Legacy Preliminaries have fired three times this past week. On the 22nd, we had QB Turtle win with Bug Delver. On okay. the 24th, we had... Uh, rug bed win with blue white miracles just straight up blue white miracles like throw back to six months ago yep and 25th we had a uh, mental misstep win it with a uh, breach combo deck yeah and this I, is the first deck i want to take a look at well right it's it's the new one it's the uh the new kid on the block yeah exactly mental misstep 5-0 one Thassa's oracle four preordained four ponder Four Brainstorm, four Brain Freeze, four Force of Will, three Enlightened Tutor, two Orms Chant, one Pact of Negation, one Spell Pierce. Then for an Artifact Package, there's one Defense Grid, one Grinding Station, four LEDs, four Petals. And for an Enchantment Tutor Package, there's one Seal of Cleansing, one Seal of Removal, four Underworld Breach. You've got lands similar to what you'd expect from a Storm deck. It's Vistas, Tarns, Strands... A storm deck, but in Jeskai colors, I should say. One Tundra, one Volcanic, and then three basic lands. Four basic lands, actually. Yeah, this is essentially the same type of thing, except instead of having the black hand disruption and tutor package, you're using white's specific, like, enlightened tutor, and then white disruption in the form of, like, Orm's Chant and um, your enchantments and artifacts for disruption rather than hand disruption like Thoughtseize and Duress. Yeah, exactly. And this is pretty interesting, man, making use of these seals, right? Yeah, there's. Um, I'm actually kind of surprised that this package is this small. In that, outside of the like win cons and stuff like that with Enlightened Tutor, it's only one seal of cleansing, one seal of removal, one defense grid, and then the grinding station. But that also works towards like winning. 
Right, and, and the you can get the Underworld Breach, obviously. Right, right, that's what it's there for, is to just have more additional copies of Breach, but um, it is really interesting that like these are the cards people have chosen. Out of the board, it's uh, important they can also get a Serenity, which is a big haymaker. Oh, right. Yeah, and that looks like the only tu- the only uh, tutor target in this sideboard. Right, it's the only one in the sideboard. They obviously decided that they didn't need anything like overly fancy, which is kind of interesting. You'd figure when you have enlightened tutors, maybe there'd be a way to better juke, but you know this one, so maybe it just doesn't need it. Yeah, and speaking of juke, there are two monastery mentors in the sideboard for when you want to plan B. Sure. Uh, also, the four swords to plowshares are a nice, you know, a thing with white is the ability to have some spot yeah. removal for Thalia's and, you know, not get run down by a rabble master or something that's going to beat you up. Having the ability to have some of these swords to plowshares is nice. Yeah, and unlike Ant or Tess, you don't have to worry about giving, like, a Depths player 20 life because you're going to mill them out. So, right. More likely you're going to mill you out, but yes, you do have the option of milling them out as well. Right, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, you don't really have to worry about life totals at all. So it's really just pure upside, one white, get rid of a creature. The seals, I like for the obvious reason of you can tutor for them, but also a less obvious reason of when you're going off, you are using LED and emptying your hand. And these these are sort of onboard protection. Right. Uh, you can just deploy and just have them there. Not that there's much that interacts with this deck when you're going off, but let's say that you're going off from an uncertain position and maybe just getting a value breach. You can leave these cards in play. So I, I, I like these for two reasons, really. Oh, yeah. It's also nice stuff like, let's say you have a seal of removal in play, and when you crack your LED, your opponent can't vial in something that would be a problem at that point when you have no cards in hand, because you'll have the seal of removal to make them pick it up. Oh, good point. You know, yeah. it's, it's very small things, but it is nice that you have cards that you can deploy and get use of without just discarding them to an LED. Yeah, for sure. So this seems like the deck with a target. We had Mental Misstep win this preliminary, and we also had, I believe it was Honorog Top 8 v Showcase Challenge this weekend with the same deck. Yeah, so, I think I saw that as well. Yeah, so I, I would I would call this the, the most likely to show up Breach deck, but by no means the only Breach deck. No, there's still like Grixis piles and stuff like that floating around, things that look more like traditional Storm. Uh, but this one is like a very interesting deck that, you know, can go through the combo or can just brain freeze someone in a regular Storm way, though it is a little bit worse at that because it doesn't have rituals. It needs to use Breach for some amount of value. Right. So the challenge this week, this was on Saturday, obviously. Sure. Won by, just as we just discussed, uh, Mental Misstep with the Breach deck uh, that also won the preliminary. We're not uh, referring to the same instance of this deck but i believe it's the same 75 uh yep looks to be so very nice uh second place blue red delver between this deck and grixis they're they're sort of like the delver decks du jour you hear people bounce back and forth it seems like if one's good one week then the other's good the next week yeah that makes sense that it it is a important niche in the format so one of them will probably always be a little better than the others yeah, and I wouldn't be surprised if people are going to be playing Breach if you just don't want the discard. Not that discard is great against them, but it'll trade, you know, just trading card for card, but the combo deck is always a winning way to buy time. Right, right. So yeah, Delver obviously showing up in third place. We've got 
Ellie with our first instance of lands here. And this is just like a extremely traditional lands deck. Like we've seen a ton of Oko in lands lately. Like I would say probably 75% of the lands decks we've looked at over the past two months of, or past month at least have been Oko decks. But this is just lands with a flex slot of Faithless Looting, I guess. Yeah, this essentially, you know, there's a couple cards like Blast Zone and like a Canyon Slough. They're now using like the Field of the Dead deal and all that stuff. But outside of like the new cards, this functions in a way like lands of 2015 or whatever. It's yeah. gonna just play its lands, crop rotate uh, for a win condition or win with Punishing Fire, though they are down to one Punishing Fire in this list. They still do have like the Vortex in this one, like you said. They don't have the Okos. This is exactly what you would expect when you hear the word lands. Yeah, and if you haven't played against lands, because it, it really hasn't been showing up a whole lot, like we've even seen local pilots like Freya playing Depths in the past, yep. what, two, three months? Something like that. So... If you haven't played against a regular lands deck lately and you think you have like a 50-50 matchup with your mid-range deck, Field of the Dead will fuck you. Oh yeah. Yeah, you it's... need Oh, yeah, go ahead. You just need an answer to that. You can't sit there and beat an army of tutus. And that's why Bug Assassin's Trophy is so appealing to me as like a potential fifth six wasteland even. I feel like I'm gonna play against two lands decks this weekend. I just I just know it, so yeah. Field that's of the interesting. Dead. Really good card. Yep, no, that card is a uh, messed up magic card. It breaks the rule of magic, which is why it was banned in standard. You know what it also broke is our Twitter mentions. I used to just search the dead format on Twitter to see if people were talking about us. Oh, and then you got format and dead. People were talking about the field of the dead format. Yes. So, in parentheses, the dead format. We started returning all these standard GBTs. Nice. Yeah, so broke our Twitter mentions as well as what Pioneer Standard. Yeah, is it is it legal in modern still? Uh, it is legal in modern. It's much less of a. It, it sees good play in modern, but it's more on the power level of what modern cards should be doing. Bro, post ban is is like a Titan deck just phenomenally good right now. It seems like yes. it would have been. Okay. Yep, the Titan is a. There's a bunch of different Titan decks in modern, and they're all pretty good right now. But Field of the Dead does the something-for-nothing rule, which means that in the fair formats, it kind of can't exist. Right. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Fortunately, Legacy, I think, is fast enough that even though this card will trump the mid-range matchups, there's enough matchups that will keep lands in check that they're just probably a fine card. But... Right. Also, like Legacy's the home of the something-for-nothing cards. Yeah. Cards like Days. You, you get something, what did you pay for it? Nothing. You know, that's that's the type of cards that fuel Legacy. Whereas when you take those cards and put them in, like, the quote-unquote fairer formats of, like, Pioneer and Standard, suddenly people's cards lag behind them. Right. So fourth place, this is a throwback, man. We we hardly ever see Grizzlebrands unless JPA is playing them. Yeah, uh, not a good time for Grizzlebrand, I'll say that. Black Red Reanimator, Aaron Relentless, fourth place. This is just Black Red. I don't see any cards in here. There's uh, some stuff in the sideboard. That's it. But there's just a single Bayou to play, like, some Assassin's Trophies and, like, Xanted Swarms and to have, like, for a Reverend Silence and stuff like that. But this is, you know, Black Red in almost its complete stock form. Yeah. And it's it's always been a great deck. Like, I, I think that this deck is one of those decks that's over 50% win percentage, but people just don't want to play it because of the variance aspect of it. That has always been my opinion of this deck. 
Uh, it also hurts that your Delver matchups got much, much worse. Whereas before, you could just put a Gristlebrand in play, and if they didn't have interaction, that was the end of the game. Now a lot of those decks have access to things like Oko. And Brazen Borrower, yeah. And Brazen Borrower, and there's just more cards that are generically, you know, B-pluses and, you know, B-minuses across the board that just fill these little holes that that you used to be able to just get away with stuff for free. You put a Gristlebrand in, you just looked at your Delver player and be like, do you have three bolts? If not, please go to the next game. But now it's like, oh, I'm just going to put that back in your hand with my bar, or, or I'm going to turn it into an elk. These are just options they didn't have before. Yeah, exactly. And it's funny, because we were talking about this on our Decade Wrap a couple weeks ago, and also with uh, Wilson on our last episode. And it didn't really click until after, after we recorded last week that I was thinking back to when Night of Autumn was printed. Do you remember like that sort of controversy about Best of One, and like they're designing cards for Best of One now, because there was like this modal... Yep creature that was good enough that you could put it in your main deck but it was a cyborg card essentially sure yeah that's kind of what borrower and oko are too right i mean they're they're like answers to these problems that you never used to have main deck cards for right and i think that's how they've just started designing a lot of cards oko obviously had issues with his raw power level but no one in any format has ever yelled you know ban brazen borrower that's just not realistic it's right. just a good magic card. Or for, Abrupt Decay or whatever. Right? Exactly. Uh, cards like this, they're not necessarily made for best of one, but they allow that format to exist. And uh, personally, the adventure mechanic is easily my favorite mechanic of all time at this point. Oh, really? Yep. Uh, awesome. But I, I like I, it too. I do think that those style of cards allow for a type of magic that is closer to, like, um, Jund of old, where you have creatures, you have threats, you have answers, you have all of the things in one neater package, as opposed to playing decks where you're like, oh, I guess I can't win because my opponent's playing Miracles and I have four Fatal Pushes in my deck. Yeah, or they stuck a turn one bridge or whatever. Right. You just don't have the main deck answer. You have plows and stuff. Exactly. It's less... Like, you can still get hit occasionally by that type of stuff, but now when you're building your decks, you're never looking at cards and being like, wow, you have no text. It may not be optimal, but now your cards are like, you have some text. If your opponent's not putting anything into play to bounce, well, you have a 3-1 flyer for 3. It's not. Right, re- right. It's not good, but... It, it does stuff. And yeah, vice versa, sure. if you don't need to kill your opponent with a 3-1 flyer, you're like, well, here's my, you know, limited bounce trick. But it just does enough. Yeah. And I think it's very important, and I know not necessarily in the aspect of Brazen Borrower, but I think it's one of the reasons we're going to start seeing more cards that make Brainstorm not, you know, quote-unquote look bad, but make that card generically worse. Because as your cards move more towards the middle, shuffling them away isn't as important. That's exactly how I've sort of been feeling playing lately. That right. was sort of, those, those were like my two overarching predictions with regard to the, the London Mulligan coming in, is that Brainstorm was going to get worse, which is kind of a weird thing to say because it's never going to be bad, it's always going to be played, so like this is almost imperceptible, so it's sort of a shitty call to make. Right. But that Ancient Tomb would be better and potentially broken because of its ability to make up a card. Sure, and that's not an unreasonable thing. Hasn't quite panned out, though it has no, seen some it more play. 
I, I think that that's a, a little overblown in like the big scheme of things, but the way they are designing cards now, you're not wrong that, you know, there's more pressure being exerted on the relics of past formats. Yes. Where, well, like, we got to, uh, oh, we got to get you into the, uh, Sapphire Stompy chat. <laughs> if you like adventures, I didn't realize you had this thing for adventures. Oh yeah, they're great. My favorite mechanic before adventure came out was Evoke, which is just hidden adventure. Yeah. Like, do you I know, do you know Sapphire Stompy? Uh, I have seen some rumblings going around. So yeah, Sapphire Medallion with like animating fairy, brazen borrower, yeah, you know, it's, it's a challenge. It's, it's a yeah, it, challenge. It's there, like the evolution of Sea Stompy. Yeah, it's uh, 16 adventures, though. You know, Fair Wishes and Hypnotic Sprites in there, too. Yep, and it makes sense. You know, those are all type of cards that if you have two modes, one of them will probably be good enough. Yeah, and if you have a Sapphire Medallion, they're all reasonably costed. Right, you don't have to pay that tax for having versatility. Exactly. So, yeah, that's uh, that, that's been sort of my, my pet project lately. Oh, well, we'll talk about that. But uh, speaking of, like, versatile cards and Jun-type things, uh, we got a doozy next place. Oh, this is Osmandius? Yep, this is the old five-color deck. Yeah, the old five-color, no astrolabe, just 27 land aggro alone. Yep, just doing it the natural way. This won the biggest legacy event of 2019, or 2019 season, at least. Yeah, it was a couple weeks ago. This is an interesting deck just because, you know, everything in about it is, you know, air quotes fair. You know, this is exactly what you'd expect it to do. It plays a bunch of lands, plays high value cards, plays Oko to, you know, have some generic answers as well as turn your uh, chalices and mox diamonds and stuff into beaters and just does what you need it to. Yeah, and if I'm not mistaken, uh, in the format championship, uh, Osmandius was on two Oko and now looks like he's up to us. Straight four Oko. Yep. We do have a new card sighting in the stack, too. Yeah, what do you think of that, man? Do you think that that ever came in? I don't know, but we're, for the people at home, we're talking about uh, Kunaros, Hound of Aethrios. It's a 3-3 legendary creature hound, has Vigilance, Menace, Lifelink, because, you know, it's got three heads, and that trope will go on forever. Um, and creatures in graveyards can't enter the battlefield, players can't cast spells from graveyards. So basically the most known parts of Grafdigger's Cage. Yeah. Do you uh, think this in there is a fifth cage? Like with you know, the, the uptick in breach decks that we're seeing now? Uh yeah. Uh, um I can see that. You know, there this deck's already playing four Leyline of the Voids. So it's not necessarily the fifth cage, but it's a cage. Oh, sorry, that... I meant I meant the fifth ley line, yeah, my bad. Yeah, it's the fifth ley line, I think. Uh and this one punches. And yeah, if yeah. you face something like Dredge having Vigilance, Menace, Lifelink, Creature, you know, that could go a long way. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, I mean, against it, Hogak or whatever. Right, it's it's a card that obviously is meant just to hose graveyards. But at the same time, the fact that it's a real card, this goes back to what we were saying with cards like Brazen Borrower and whatnot. This is going to shut down graveyards, but... Hey, it's a vigilance mental the menace lifelink along with that, and that's not irrelevant at all. No, not at all. Also, it was interesting when we reviewed this card a couple weeks ago. I was thinking about Esper and Dead Guy and thinking about turn three when he cast this and not being fast enough for graveyard decks, but in a Mox Diamond deck like this, you're talking about this is a turn two play. 
Right. So I hadn't really considered that aspect, and I actually like it a lot more in a show like this. Yeah, this makes a lot of sense, because it can come down early enough to be uh, important, and it can come down in mulliganed hands, which is uh, an important aspect with specifically, like, graveyard hate, where if you were to mulligan to, let's say, five, let's just say it happens, you, you drew no lands, and then you drew a bad hand, and you're like, well, I gotta ship to five. If you're playing against a deck where you need ley lines, and you keep a hand where you have ley lines, you've actually just mulliganed to four, and you have to hope that they don't have an answer to it. Right, and the other thing about this versus Cage is Force of Vigor. We're seeing like a lot of these decks right. have Force of Vigor as their answer, where if your redundant effect is like two ley lines or ley line and Cage, this actually dodges Force of Vigor. Yeah, this dodges some hate, plus again, like it does two things at once. So it comes down, and you're like, ah, I don't have any cards left. I spent all my cards on my land and my Mox Diamond, and I got nothing else. But this entire card could solo a graveyard deck. You need nothing else. Man, I, I kind of like it now. <laughs> you're really selling me on this guy. Uh, again, it's a one-of in a deck. It may not be good, but if it's going to be good, my guess would be it'd be in somewhere a deck like this. A deck with some amount of acceleration, and a deck that can also appreciate having a beater. Yeah. Yeah. And as we mentioned, when Osmandius won the, the format championship, when you're playing five colors, you have whatever the Fox Cyborg cards you want, right? You have Containment Priests, you know, you have Source of Plashares, Plague Engineer, Thalia. Yeah, you can I just mean, do whatever. Yeah. So you get all the good black and white cyborg cards, or in this case, Orzhov cyborg cards. I guess maybe black and white just have the best cyborg cards. I don't know. Oh, they kind of do. For a Chalice deck, at least. Uh, I mean, just kind of throughout the history of Magic, white is the best sideboard color. True. It, it kind of lacks in some other areas, but man, does that thing have Haymakers. So sixth place, this LED Dredge, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, I just wanted to point out, and I pointed out to Tom already, but Ox of Agonis showing up already yep. winning me the bet. So, Did he really go as low as a single Ox? No, he took zero Ox. Jeez. Man, yeah. That's just dumb. You know that card's going to show up. Yeah. I I felt like uh, between this deck, like Dredge decks and Phoenix decks, somebody was going to top eight. So here it is. First appearance of Ox in the top eight. We, we did see it. Actually, Strifo was playing it in like a fair deck last week, but that's really hostile. I think the meta is really hostile to that sort of Strifo build right now. But Yeah, I, I agree with that in general, but it's just a very powerful effect that you, especially in these decks where you mill so much, that having one in your deck, I'm not going to call it a free roll, but it's a really nice ability to have. Oh like, yeah, it's like a fifth Cephalid Coliseum, right? It's exactly what it is. It's a Ceph- or more importantly, it's a Cephalid Coliseum that you can mill. Yeah, exactly. When I, when I was like working out in my head, I was actually replacing Cephalid Coliseum with this card, like at least one copy. Sure. Uh, and it looks like they've just decided to run a fifth one. But they're only on, like, uh, 13 lands with two cities. So, yeah, it, it may still be a land slot, but overall, like, one ox is just really high value for these decks. Yeah, it's really nice. So... Yeah, I just wanted to point out, there's three Kiora's dismissals in the sideboard. <laughs> I've been seeing them occasionally, but it's just a really weird card to have never seen play, and then over the past couple months just spike. Bro, so when I saw that, when I was looking through this list earlier, I was like, man, is that a new card? Like, is that from, like, a, a dual deck or something? And nope, I, it's just I, from old Theros. Yeah, it's a Journey to Nyx card, I think? Yeah, it's something like that. So it's uh, it's got Strive. It, it, it's sort of like a Chain of Vapor. Yeah, it's kind of like a Chain of Vapor variant, except it only targets enchantments. 
which is very weird. But apparently that's, you know, the type of card that this deck wants, where sometimes you just want to make them pick up all their ley lines, no matter how many mm -hmm. they had. Yep. Yeah, that's a good point. And I guess your blue count really, or your green count isn't high enough to support, like, a, a Force of Vigor in this deck specifically, so. Right, right. Uh, Interesting. Next up we have the same Breach deck, it looks like. Actually, this one has an Abeyance in the sideboard. Yeah, and a but... Spell Pierce in the main that I'm not sure. And a, a Spell Pierce and a Silence Yeah. With, it... split with Orange Chant. Yeah, it's, it's basically the same deck, though. Again, this is a deck that people are going to need to start preparing for and make sure they know know how to play around. Yeah, abeyance, man. I haven't seen abeyance in a long time. That is a st straight up a relic. That thing has not seen play for years, but it's a uh, what this deck wants. Yeah. So eighth place, we've got the style with blue red delver deck. It's a little different than the other blue red delver deck, but it's it's one that we've been seeing a lot of. Just the four arcanist, two young pyromancer version. Yep. This is, I'm not going to say stock, like you said, there are some slight differences, but this is exactly, you know, if you sit picture in your head, picture Blue Red Delver, it'd be something like this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And honorable mention to someone doing it without Breach, Byron Cook in ninth place with, uh, looks like the Epic Storm. Hmm. I think they may be known for this, but I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, um, no, really, Bryant is just playing... You know, the Epic Storm, his normal deck with four main deck Vale of Summers and like Wishclaw Talismans and stuff, and the stuff that we've been seeing over the past couple months. Yeah. And then shout out to 10th and 11th, uh, Tom Heppin, JPA, just stalwarts playing the decks that you think that they're playing. But I wanted to get to 12th real quick before we end this challenge. Sure. Oh, OTR. yes. I saw yeah. this thing. This thing is wild. Yeah. So this is. The breach deck that your your mother didn't tell you about. This is a Planeswalker for Teferi Time Raveler, which is a great combo Planeswalker if you're playing that speed of combo. Right. Also, this functions like we've seen the other combo decks that we just looked at for those breaches. They're playing cards like Silence and Abeyance, and Teferi is very similar. Exactly. And then there's Emery Lurker of the Lock. So there's five creatures in this deck. There's four Emery's and a Thassa's Oracle. Okay, so we know they're trying to win through, you know, Thassa's Oracle. Yep. The four sorceries, four Savin's Reclamation, which if you're going to be binning your, your hand and everything and bring it, you want Breaches back. Right. Seems like an amazing card. Yep, and it uh, also gets your Thassa's Oracle back if you mill it over. Um, and you have, like, you can mill your entire deck and just flash this back and get the uh, Oracle. So if you don't happen to have any of the pieces in your hand to start, that you can win that way. Great point, yep. Four Brain Freeze is the only instance. This isn't like a Brainstorm kind of deck like the other ones. Nope, and it's not a Brainstorm deck because of the next card on the list. Four Chalice of the Void. Yep, we so, have some strange, stompy combo deck. We're really sidestepping the traditional Storm build by actually just playing Chalice. And this is potentially terrifying, right? Because... You don't know what you're playing against, and you're just you're just rolled. Yeah, I do not want to live my life where my opponent plays, you know, Ancient Tomb, Chalice of the Void, and the next turn cracks a Scalding Tarn. Yeah. You're it's, like, it's what is going on? Terrifying. <laughs> so, because it's an Opal deck, we've got some Bobbles and some Sea of the Synods, but as you mentioned, four Ancient Tombs, which obviously that's a powerful card. Yep, so you have uh, Lion's Eyes, Petals, Bobbles... Um, the Seat of the Cyanod to go with it, at Tombs to speed the deck up, 
and this is just how many car how many zeros can I play in a turn, brain freeze myself, repeat that over and over again with Lion's Eye Diamond and Brain Freeze, use the mana from Lion's Eye Diamonds to cast your Savine's Reclamation to bring back Thassa's Oracle and win. Yeah, after looking at this deck, I, I kind of think Plateau needs to get banned. Yep, it finally is his time. So yeah, that's the challenge. And I feel like we cooked through that. That was uh, that was pretty good. A bunch of different decks. There was two Breach decks and two Blue Red Delver decks, but a fair sampling of what I would expect to see at Etsy, honestly. Yeah, um, that's basically, yeah, you're right. You're straight up right. Everything kind of had its place. Nothing was absurdly overpowered. Nothing looked unbeatable. Everything that looked too powerful has very clear weaknesses. Exactly. So going back to, we skipped the challenge from last week because we've, we've been doing some sort of uh, thematic episodes, but I wanted to just touch on it basically because of the first, the top two decks. Decks we talked about earlier, Bug Delver first, with, which is... Uh, who was it? Lord Beerus playing Bug Delver with four Delvers, four Goifs, one Borrower, one Angler, two Oko, and then four Thoughtseize, four Fatal Push, which is, in my opinion, the most efficient, powerful version, but not the most versatile version, and not exactly what I'd be playing. Right. This one is very much on how to be efficient versus how to always have cards that have the correct text. Exactly, yeah. You so know. nothing like Collective Brutality or... Right, those cards cost more, but you're always going to have some use for them, whereas cards like Fatal Push, like, what happens if you have Fatal Push against the deck we were just talking about? You're going to push their Oracle and die anyways. But this is a Brainstorm deck still, so a lot of it's like, make sure that you have the right cards, because they are more efficient. There's no arguments there. And four Ley Lines in the sideboard, which is pretty much Delver now, you know? Yeah, I think I've kind of always been on that boat, but I'm very much either a zero graveyard hate or a four ley lines type of person, and right now it feels like a four ley lines type of time. Oh yeah, absolutely. I don't even want to tell you that I might register three ley lines, but why? Why bother? Second place, Shadow PT with the mono red deck. Yep. A very very tight list, honestly. Uh yeah, the main decks on this looks like what a lot of other people are running. Uh, where they're down to, well, I say down, but a lot of people have been playing three Maguses for a while. This deck has the main deck and snaring bridges. It's not running war bosses. It's is running bone crusher giants. This is basically every one of these decks has 60 cards and maybe 55, 54 of them are always the same. And those last ones are basically, I don't want to say for flavor, but they're how you wish to customize it. Right. In fifth place, I almost don't want to mention this, but I, I feel like we have to. Fifth place is a, yet another Breach deck. This is sort of an abomination of a, a Breach deck. This is Oval Chase Daredevil Rail Smith Breach. Yes, this deck is awesome. <laughs> uh, I don't know if it's good, that's for sure. Uh, but this deck is really cool, where, again, it's using the Breach to try to power through with, like, zeros out of your graveyard and stuff like that, and use Oval Chase Daredevil, which whenever you play an artifact, it comes, um, you may return Oval Chase Daredevil from your graveyard to your hand, and then Riddlesmith, which is whenever you cast an artifact spell, you may draw a card, if you do, discard a card. Those two, in combination with playing all these zeros, allow you to just cycle through your deck, because you constantly keep putting this card back in your hand, 
drawing a new card, discarding the dragster or the daredevil, and you repeat that over and over again. So you're just piling up all your cards, and then you win. In this case, with what looks like a grape shot. Yeah. The thing about this deck that when I looked at it, I was like, "Oh, I really expected to see," and didn't. Do you think that the four gambles are worth not just making a chalice deck? Huh. That's interesting. I imagine that you probably get some more value out of being a Chalice deck. However, the issue with that is that this deck runs nine lands, because that's a realistic thing, apparently. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) So, physically casting a Chalice early enough may be an issue. Wow. Yeah, nine lands. So there's two Simeon Spirit Gods, four Chrome Mox, four Petal, and four Opal. So basically... If you get your chalice countered by a force of will, it's not a two for one. You're probably two for twoing yourself. Yeah. This, like, if we look at the last Underworld Breach decks and say that they're uh, a variation of Storm, this Underworld Breach deck is more of a variation of Belcher than anything else. This thing is just trying to kill you right away. Like, it's it's definitely going through about it through different cards, but if you look at what this deck is trying to do, it's full of Chrome Moxes, it's full of Mox Opals, it's full of even Simeon Spirit Guides, it's on an incredibly small number of lands. This is essentially a variation on how Belcher wants to win. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So yeah, I guess, you know, it could be worth it. I could see some awkward situations with the gamble where you're loading up your hands, going off, and you have to hope to hit a gamble before you mill the card that you're trying to to gamble for sure but i guess i guess it's pretty unlikely because you're playing like four daredevils four riddlesmiths four gambles three brain free you can know brain freeze but i think i think you're fine in this case so this is uh actually it doesn't fucking matter what am i talking about so yeah this uh this is an interesting deck and then bro what the fuck i i didn't actually see this deck which one six sixth place S zero six three. This one is oh that deck is weird. Is this just a monastery mentor deck? It's just an echo combo. It's like echo mentor deck. Yeah, there's no actual kill con here other than mentor. Like for, at least for how combo decks work. Uh, for those people at home, we're looking at a S zero six three in sixth place in this legacy challenge. They're playing. Four Narsets, three Okos, three Elvish Spirit Guides, three Monastery Mentors, and then four Echo of Aeons, four Ponders, two Preordains, four Brainstorms, an Echoing Truth, four Veils, uh, three Chrome Moxes, four LEDs, four Petals, three Opals, and 14 various Jeskai Lands. Or Bantlands, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, Bantlands. Yeah, this just looks like, here's my Mentor, I'm going to play a bunch of cards that pass the turn and then hope you die. This deck feels like it should just be a combo deck, but it's not. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, you, you're playing Veil, you don't actually have, like, Force of Will, kind of by the nature of LED. So you gotta, like, Veil, and then go off. But it's, it's basically just all in on the Narset Echo plan. Yeah, that's it. It's just doing the, you know, get rid of your opponent's hand, or here's my mentor, here's a bunch of stuff, hopefully you don't draw your answer. Yeah, it's a really cool deck, but honestly, like, looking at it, I'm kind of surprised it did this well, but... Maybe it's more powerful playing fair than I'm giving credit for. Yeah, that is kind of true, because if looking at this, you know, Mentor is a powerful fair card. 
Narset's a powerful fair card. Oko's a powerful fair card. Maybe it's just the type of deck where if you treat it like a combo deck, you get punished by the fair cards. And if you treat it like a fair deck, you get punished by the combo cards. Yeah, yeah, it seems fair. Seventh and eighth, we've got Pretty Stock, Rug Delver, and Oko Lands, but I wanted to point out ninth place, uh, Savaka playing a pile deck with two Clothis. Not a card I expected to see, honestly. A card I kind of written off. I thought of it maybe as, as like a, a Xena target in a weird deck, like uh, like Agro Loam or something, but straight up just jamming two Clothis into check pile. No, that, uh, this card actually makes a lot of sense to me. On its face, it looks a little weird. And then you have that moment where you realize that it's just a very weird-shaped Deathrite Shaman. So it ends up in check pile, so that makes some amount of sense. But then you kind of look again and be like, no, this can exist on its own. It has like this Sulfuric Vortex mode where it also slowly eats away at your opponent's graveyard so they can't build towards things if they're like a graveyard deck. And the card is powerful, I will say that. It's more akin to having a one-sided Sulfuric Vortex than anything else. But the fact is it gets a lot of little modes here and there. And I don't expect them to ever turn this card on with their Baleful Strix Clothis deck. Well, turning it on is a liability, right? Because then they can be targeted by, like, a plow or something. Right. Then you can go and get rid of it. But I think as just an enchantment, it is a card that you are going to see a good bit of in the future. Interesting. And, yeah, it kind of has a hidden carpet of flowers mode, too. Right, that's exactly... If you look at the abilities, it's death right shot. <clears throat> it adds mana, it does damage, it gains life. Uh, but it's doing it in a different way, and the ability just to consistently every single turn, deal two, deal two, deal two, means that your opponent is going to need to figure out a way to kill you rather than the opposite. And it's a big mid-range trump card because you can deal with slower stuff like uh, like accumulated knowledge, for example. Right, like, you, you can't build towards anything with this card. Right, yeah. I, I do kind of like it now that you're phrasing it like that. And it does have, you know, a heavy tax. that You're paying a, a real premium, especially in a Him to Turok deck, to cast this card on turn three, hypothetically. But yeah, it is invulnerable, you know? Right, that is an important aspect of, like, this in this type of mirror. Let's say you're facing... Let's say these two decks faced each other. This deck versus the mirror of this deck. Yeah. This card seems very powerful. Oh, God, yeah, you're right. It gets to just pick off things that Snapcaster Mage would eventually get to reuse. It gets to eat your opponent's graveyard and be a long-term threat. You get to make mana to give yourself a mana advantage. It just does a little bit of everything. This is a pretty good Swiss Army Knife type of card that is very hard to get off the board. Yeah. Killing indestructible uh, enchantments is a really difficult mode in Magic. Yeah. One thing that I don't like uh, is you can't redirect the damage to Planeswalkers anymore. No, this is definitely each opponent, and it does have some nombos with Drown in the Lock, but as far as Legacy goes, Graveyards are still pretty full. Yeah, totally acceptable. You're stretching your mana to a point, because this is not an Astrolabe deck. This is just a greedy-as-fuck deck. Yeah, this is so, someone who's just not wanting to ever... You know, this is a have-your-cake-and-eat-it-two deck. Yeah. This is just so, hoping it works. Drown is actually the more reasonable card to play than Counterspell, so you're kind of accepting that you know that cost with, with playing Clothis as you can't actually just cast Counterspell reliably, so you have to do something. Yep. Interesting, man. 
<clears throat> well, I was pretty down on this card. One card I wasn't down on in 12th and 13th place, actually. We've got Calmaster and Osmandius again, with Dryad of Elysian Grove. One of them is in a like a Reclaimer Depths variant, and lands, more like a lands variant, honestly. And the other is in like a uh, plug variant. Yeah, uh, it's a powerful card. It's seeing a bunch of play in Modern, and this is a format that has Green Sun Zenith in it, so it's going to see less overall numbers. But in any Green Sun Zenith deck, I can see this being a one of. And in any deck like something like Lands, this is just another copy of Exploration. It's a two four copy, uh, but it's just another one. It, it fixes your mana for all these like four color decks as well, where if just having this in play means that no matter what your opponent does, they can't uh, screw you out of like a color on a turn. You can't get nailed by the like end of turn wasteland wasteland type thing. Right. Right. Yeah, and I don't. I honestly don't love the twelfth place list. I feel like it opens up lands to some vulnerabilities. But the thirteenth place list, I, I absolutely adore. Yeah, like no, it it seems really good. Yeah, this like kind of plug and um, what's the? I always blank. Like it's using a lot of like the Nick old Nick fit technology. Yeah. For a lot of yeah. this stuff, uh, Plukranos also showing up. Oh yeah, I didn't realize that was the new one. Yep. Yeah, that card. Plukranos Unchained. That card, I'm not sure if it's going to be good in standard, but it does seem really good when you're in a Green Sun Zenith deck. Do your Green Sun Zenith thing, you pay your bunch of mana, you do the stuff you normally do, you get this 6 thix. It uses your graveyard, which not too many of your other cards do, so that's kind of tapping into a new resource. And a card like this, just constantly punching your opponent's small creatures down, seems really good. Yeah. It's uh, also very good in draft, if you can imagine. Oh, yeah, I can't... I. I've I've definitely played that. I've I know that feeling, but <laughs> sticking something like this Pelucranos against I don't know like Death and Taxes or whatnot means that they need to Swords this, or you're just going to literally punch all their creatures to death. Yeah, yeah, it's it's disgustingly good. All right, so we actually man, we're making good time. Do you have a time still or? Yeah, I still got time. All right, cool. I don't want to keep you too late, but nope, I'm good. Awesome, man. So yeah, we've made it through both challenges with the decks that we want to talk about. Uh, we did tell someone on Twitter, I believe it was Nick Rogers, that we would talk about the Strifo deck from this challenge that I believe came in about 20th place. There's a Strifo deck, and it uh, looks like, well, Strifo pile, and looks like it has an Uro. Mm-hmm. That guy's new, as well as a Cling to Dust. And any other new cards here? An Ox? Yep. So yeah, the two Cling to Dust, I noticed in the more recent Strifeflow list there was only one Cling to Dust, but I did hear, I think it was him, but it could have been someone else, say that they were impressed with it. And this is two Oko, three Dak Faden, one Jace, if you're familiar with this kind of deck. The creature suite is three snap, a Snapcasters, two Plague Engineers, a Brazen Borrower, and a Uro. Four Ponders, one Deluge, and the typical like punish and fire sort of removal suite with four assassins trophies. Yeah, this is this is just a extremely powerful deck. Yeah, this is just kind of a good stuff pile. Um, worth noting, it is a little weird that Uro and Klingtodust are seeing play in the same deck. Yeah. Uh, I'm not necessarily against either of them, but it is a little weird that you know you're 
adding multiple escape cards to the same legacy deck. <laughs> it seems just... I don't know, maybe it's just me. They we they kind of eat on top of each other. Yeah, when we were talking about Come to Dust, we sort of treated it like it was trivial to play... To, to pay the, the escape costs, but playing it in draft, you know, it's a lot slower draft, obviously, but sure. you do realize, you like, five plus this card, so you have to have six cards in your graveyard, and you can't keep any of them at that point. Right, it's trivial it to do the cost. first time. Right, exactly. Uh, in a format like Legacy, at least. You basically only get one free activation. Exactly. After that, you have to work. I had a lot of people, again, I was playing Pioneer this weekend, so no fetch lands or whatnot, but, you know, they'd play their Uro, put their land in play, do their thing, and then over the course of the game, they'd bring back Uro once, and you'd kill it, and then they'd look at their graveyard and be like, okay, well, it consists of Uro and one other card, so guess I'm going to draw my card, play my land, and say go. It's not like a this-is-going-to-happen-forever type of thing. Yeah. Our buddy Tom uh, Karens is playing like the Snow Control, basically this deck with Astrolabe, and he called Uro maybe the biggest mirror breaker since Leovold, and he's he's out there playing the matches, so I'm not gonna no, that, say one way or the other. But that aspect of it makes sense. I don't think you can do this forever. That said, if you're playing a bunch of fair magic, it is a six-six explore that. It gains you life, and if your opponent doesn't deal with it, is also a howling mine. It yeah. it, it demands an answer. It's already, it's, it's already ancestral recalled and giving you nine life. Exactly. Attack once with it. So. Yeah, it's a lot of mana, but it certainly is a worthwhile effect and one that in fair matchups is going to take over games. Definitely, yeah. But this is the only appearance I've I've seen so far. I, I wouldn't be shocked to see this show up in the Zenith deck at some point, but... Yeah, that makes some sense. Here we are. Just cantripping your Zenith. Yep. And then getting some long-term value out of it. So now I am really done with the challenges. Sorry about that pump fake yeah, there. Yeah, just a little, little juke. So this week in the, the deck dump, which I'm sure Tom is extremely upset that he's missing, we had some absolute mad lads... Yeah, there's certainly some uh, there's certainly cert- uh, certainly some hits here. The the first, this has been a pet card of mine for a long time. Invisible Stalker, Bant Hexproof, enabled by a new card that I never in a million years thought I would see in Legacy, which is uh, Staggering Insight, w- uh, white and a blue, uncommon from Theros Beyond Death, or whatever it's called. White and a blue aura that gives a creature lifelink, plus one, plus one, and curious obsession. This card is very good. I own Boggles in Modern. I've considered trying to figure out a way to play this. This card does exactly what you want on your untouchable creatures. You want them to be able to hit your opponent and win the game with your opponent being unable to interact with them. And because the the lines of text on this are the important ones. It draws you cards so that you get to be able to interact with your opponent's things, and it has lifelink, so racing is nigh impossible. Yeah, exactly. Like, you're not racing it down with a Delver or anything like that. Right. It's not a waste on any of these keywords, and that's the important part. Lifelink on something that can't be blocked or dealt with is a lot more problematic than people give it credit for. The other thing is the plus one aspect of it, because the vulnerability that, like, Infect has right now is Plague Engineer. Like, you know... Infect's got no game against Plague Engineer. 
But when you're talking about Curious Obsession and Staggering Insight, you're talking about making these X-1s, you know, these cards whose traditional vulnerability has been their one toughness, Invisible Stalker and True Nemesis, right. making them X-2s. Yeah, if you can get that down first, that means that your opponent needs to assemble a lot of cards to be able to deal with it, rather than just have, you know, a simple one-off. Yeah, so when I first saw this deck, I was like, oh man, because it's got two Okos and two Teferis, so right there you have this sort of protection interaction like fair game engine that we see in like the band miracles deck or like when people are playing food chain now or whatever yeah just th this solid planeswalker package this has been tested at this point so anything you put on top of that is going to be good right it's also playing for force of wills and a force of negation yeah so it's wants to be able to not only protect its stuff, it's not like a straight-up dead-to-combo decks that you would expect like a uh, Boggle-style deck being. Right. There is one weird aspect to this, though. Is it's the speed, because you're not closing games out too quickly with Invisible Stalker with an Insight. You're still taking, you know, eight, nine turns at that point. Sure. It's more of an inevitability situation where... If you have an Invisible Stalker with a Staggered Insight on it, and you have these free pitch counterspells, you get to pitch counterspell for a couple turns to keep it alive, and then you find another Staggering Insight. And then you put that or another Curious Obsession on it, and suddenly you have this like double Howling Mind Lightning Bolt every turn, where you have all these like Spell Pierces, and again, the, the Force Package, and Swords to Plowshares, and you just kind of play... A game where you deal with all your opponent's stuff, but they are not allowed to deal with your engine. Oh, interesting, man. Yeah, see, what I was trying to do with this deck when I first like got my hands on it, I was thinking like I kind of want to put a couple coaddles in there in, in place of the plows because if you put an enchantment on a coaddle and it gets wasted, it's still like you got one for one, you know. Yeah, this is using the like enchantment and then unkillable, unblockable creature package in a way that is more akin to like a control deck than a beatdown deck. None of the enchantments are beatdown enchantments. There's no Rancors here. There's no um, Cornets here. There's yeah. nothing like that. This is just make a thing that your opponent can't deal with, allow that thing to create a snowballing advantage, and then snowball over an opponent with your cheap cards and the ability to keep drawing them. Right. So do you think that the Hierarchs are necessary in this deck? Um, I think so. Okay, because it's not a daze deck, right? Like, you so, feel that, like, in fact, or something like that. It's not a daze deck, but you have four, like you said, the Planeswalkers, the Okos, and the Fairies that are three drops. You have four True Nemesis that are three drops. And then you have these enchantments that you don't necessarily want to um, spend your entire turns just playing an enchantment. Yeah, you know so, what, I wasn't thinking about true name either. So this lets you get, Hierarch lets you get a true name under uh, minus one effect. Right, the Hierarchs here, you know, they obviously provide an extra point of damage on the attacks, but this deck, it's only an 18 land deck, it is trying to play a bunch of three drops. I think a lot of the, those Hierarchs are probably going to go a long way here in fueling your cards and allowing you to consistently have the mana in the early game to leverage your cards in the late game. Yeah. I mean, it certainly looks attractive. Like, I'm definitely going to play this deck at some point. It's not going to be this weekend, because I feel like this deck is, is very much a uh, work in progress right now. Come on, I'll get you under camera first round. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll take a hard pass on that one. 
deck. Noted. It, it is a sick deck. And similarly, maybe you notice a theme here, but the second deck I really wanted to play this weekend too, which is Bant Reclaimer Depths. There are two... Some have heard this before. Two Okos, two Teferis for Planeswalkers. Hmm. It looks familiar. Yeah. But this is a Green Sun deck with Mox Diamond. And the creature package is four, uh, excuse me, four Elvish Reclaimer, four Night of the Reliquary, one Excavator, one Scooze, one Sylvan Safekeeper, one Drive of the Illusing Grove. So basically, you're talking about slowish depths, right? Like Zenith, yeah. Zenith slow depths that was kind of like in fashion when Rem was around. Yep. But in the Bant colors with the Bant Planeswalkers. Yeah, this looks exactly like that. This looks like someone shuffled shrek together with various bant planeswalkers yeah shrek there you go i can remember the name yep so huh. yeah that that's cool and then in the sideboard you got like sort of this controlling plan with like dovin's vetoes fluster storms and veil of summers too this is reasonable though i will say i do not like fluster storm right now i think that card no. is very very bad i forgot it was legacy legal yeah, do not play Flusterstorm right now. As long as Breach is the Storm deck of choice, you do not want Flusterstorm in your deck. You know what's kind of weird, man? Seeing zero spell snares. Yeah, that card could be posed for a comeback. I'm definitely going to play one this weekend if I play Delver, that's for sure. Seems good against a lot of this stuff. I understand that that could probably be pretty good. So yeah, this is uh, this is an attractive deck, maybe just because of the Bant Planeswalkers that I'm, I'm addicted to these colors, but... Really, you're addicted to Bant because of those Planeswalkers, not because it's the only thing you've ever played for 15 years? Uh, could be. Yeah, it could you be. Could, you could have a point there. <laughs> so this is, this is uh, Frejat or Freyat with uh, the 5-0 here. Nice job. Respect. Next deck, Bug Zenith. This is uh, Janky B. This is not Janky B's first appearance on the deck dump. No, I think we see that uh, show up on occasion. Uh, yeah. And this one again, that this when you see cards like Singleton Gilded Goose, you're like, okay, what what's going on here? So there there was the deck that won Bologna, the came in second at Bologna, right? Yeah, the like bug mid range Leovold pile thing. Yeah, with Zenith, it was like bug Zenith with like a questing beast and a Leovolds, you know, it was sort of similar to the Duke list, but with Zeniths and yep, it was you know that deck. And this is that deck with Chalice of the Voids. Yeah, so this is this fucking fierce, honestly. You're talking about, you know, how many draws, not many draws, to uh, turn one chalice. Actually, none, right? I, I'm looking right now, I count zero. Yeah, I count zero as well. So This is just yeah. a straight-up fair chalice deck. <laughs> a fair chalice deck, yeah. And you're actually playing two Birds of Paradise and one Gilded Goose, as you mentioned earlier. So you are playing one drops. You can get them under the chalice. You can get them with Green Sun Zenith if you want. It would be a rare situation where you Zenith for a Gilded Goose, but it does happen. This is just the Bug Zenith deck with a, a package of four Strix, two Coatl, so or one Coatl. So we're on five five Strix in, basically. Huh. Two Leovolds, one Questing Beast, one Scavenging Goose, one Tireless Tracker, four Truning Nemesis, and one Collector, which is a great card to have made that right now. Yeah, this deck is really interesting. Not in well, it's interesting because it's such so weird to see Chalice of the Void divorced from all of the mana that normally goes with Chalice of the Void. Right. And which is leading me to wonder why. Because this deck 
in terms of like its mana commitments, as far as legacy goes, isn't super rough. I guess it has like the Strixes and the Single Quaddle and like the Leovolds, but it feels weird not to at least see one or two Ancient Tombs in this type of deck. Like, exactly. Kind of how Lands does. Yeah, you have to build it a little differently, but you could you could like you could just play four Ancient Tombs and then build in more cards that are like two G two U. I'm not even three G. Sure, I'm not even sure you want four, but like we've seen both lands and um, death and taxes sometimes play copies of ancient tomb as just an acknowledgement to how they have to play after sideboard games right right um and like here we have three damping spheres in the board so the ability to like play that on turn one i know it technically you know shuts off your tomb or whatever but you're never going to be angry because obviously you're boarding in damping sphere against people who just can't beat the card Right. Um, so, oh, it it seems a little weird to me not to give yourself the out to have these turn one chalices and damping spheres, especially when you can, like, not to say that you should mulligan aggressively, but it, it gives you an out to bad mulligan draws. Like, again, you mulligan to six or something, and you're like, ah, I don't like this hand. You mulligan to five, you're like, well, this hand's not great, but it has um, my singleton tomb and a chalice. I can keep on the back of that and hope that that's good enough. And you know what else works great with Tomb? Green Sun Zenith? Yeah, just get some extra quicker mana. Like, thinking you can't, you know, you, you play a Tomb on turn one, you're like three turns off Leovolt, but actually, no, you can still cast it on curve with Ancient Tomb. Right, and when you have cards as powerful as, like, Questing Beast in your deck, the ability to get those a turn earlier seems important. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't necessarily feel like this should be a four Tomb deck or something like that, but I'm really surprised that it's not a one or a two Tomb deck. Yeah, exactly. I was surprised not to see any Mox Diamonds as well. Yeah, same same deal there. Uh, that one takes a bit more in like your uh, commitment to mana, though. Yeah, you probably have like a Ramanop Excavator in the in the package for sure if you're going that direction. Yeah, and there's there's no wastelands here, so right. you don't get the full. Yeah, you don't get the full value out of that. Yeah. So yeah, maybe you just if you go that direction, maybe you just end up a plug. I don't know. Hmm. But, it's possible. I guess this is kind of a midway point between the two. Right. So there's a card here. So Bara apparently is off vile and wasting their time. Not wasting their time, obviously doing well. With Natural Order. Okay. We've seen Natural Order pop up a few times recently. This is uh, a rug Natural Order deck. A rug because of Lightning Bolts, but it's basically blue-green. And the main deck, we've got Four Okos, three Gilded Goose, two Noble Hierarch, uh, Scavenging Ooze, Tireless Tracker, and Ice Fang Coatl as your Zenith package, and then Progenitus as your Natural Order target. And then this is what's crazy, a card I never in a million years would have expected to see in, in a deck dump, Arasta of the Endless Web. Okay. Um, why, uh, sheer curiosity, why did you expect never to see this? So, for people who don't know, because we skipped this in the set review, it's two green green for a 3-5 legendary enchantment creature spider. It has reach, so 3-5 reach for two green green. Whenever an opponent casts an instant or sorcery spell, create a 1-2 green spider creature token with reach. The reason I never expected to see it is because Legacy is very much like a sweeper format, right? So, this card seemed to me... Like, I would expect to see 
what, what's that wolf from M20 that's like uh, Halp, Nightpack, Halp, Halp guy? What is it? Nightpack do? Ambusher. Oh, Nightpack Ambusher. Sure, sure, sure. I would expect to see even like that card before this card, and, and I would expect to see neither card ever because they are going to snowball and get swept up, right? It is the way that I look at it. Okay. I kind of view Legacy in a little bit of a different light in that I don't actually think it's that much of a sweeper format. Uh, I think it has decks that are sweeper decks. But when you're dealing with a Green Sun Zenith, the ability to, or Natural Order as well, the ability to have these hits that are incredible haymakers against very specific styles of decks is important. And I'm not sure how, like, a Delver deck is ever beating an Arasta. You know what? As soon as, like, the words left my mouth, I kind of remembered when Byra played Obelisk Spider, like, a year and a half ago. Right, the 1-4? Yeah, it's like a 1-4. It might even have lifelink. It has reach. Uh, it has, um... It, it deals damage as minus one, minus one counters. There you go, yep. That's um, what it is. And this feels like a very similar thing, where... If you can get this thing down, obviously it's a four-mana card, this is Legacy. It's a little different than before, they're a little bit more acceptable than they were a couple years ago. But, this is a 3-5 reach. Okay, so, you're dealing with a sizable body. It's very good against, like, um, Elks, as it's a 3-5. It has reach, so it blocks all, like, the air traffic, all the Delvers and stuff like that. And whenever an opponent casts an instant or sorcery, it creates another 1-2 reach. So if your opponent needs to double spell, like uh, pair a lightning, like two lightning bolts together or something like that to deal with this, it's going to leave behind two one-two uh, reach spiders. Yeah, that is amazing. And I will say like some anecdotal stories. A one-two reach spider does not seem like uh, a huge thing until you have played spider spawning, the old limited archetype from uh, Innistrad, and you'd be like. I'm not sure if any you're familiar with that. Uh, oh, at of all. course. Okay, I did. I have an Innistrad cube. Oh, oh, that's right. I forgot about that. I, I knew that. Um, so, the, like the spider spawning archetype, you played a card. It made a bunch of one, two green spiders. And you're like, oh, I can definitely beat, you know, five one, two green spiders. They're just these small things. Turns out, attacking into once you hit like three yeah. one twos with reach, attacking becomes impossible. Yeah. Oh yeah. Because you're especially just... especially like Delvers, you're trading one for one, right? Right. You're in this situation where your 3-2 Delver is attacking and trading with a 1-2 green Reach Spider. And you also can't go around it because there's a lot of them and they can just chump block that way. It, it's surprisingly difficult to get through 1-2 Reaches. Because I know there was a time in my Magic career where I did the, like, oh, it's just a 1-2 Reach. But it turns out that that particular stat line piled on top of each other a lot of times is powerful. You know what, there's another heuristic I applied to this card that I think I was wrong about, is I kind of gave it that voice of resurgence uh, treatment, where it's like if somebody casts a spell on your turn, like somebody casts an instant during your turn, make an elemental. That's not what this is. No. So if you deal with this with, let's say, like an Assassin's Trophy, it, it might be cast at sorcery speed, but it's still an instant. So You still get some value out of the deal, yeah. You're getting the land back and a 1-2 reach spider. So it's like a, a tremendous trade in your favor. You mentioned the double lightning bolt scenario. This card with its particular stats dodges lightning bolt and dodges abrupt decay. Yep. So the the only card that you're getting tagged by really on a one for one level is Assassin's Trophy because we're not really seeing many Council of Judgments anymore. 
Uh, this can still get like swordsed. True, true, yeah. Um, but yeah, just in general, like this is not a powerhouse. This is a role player. Uh, I'm not gonna claim that this is like the next big thing in Legacy, but just like we saw questing beasts in the list before, it is a high or mid to high costing card that has very specific effects. And in the matchups where you want that specific effect, it is very good. And we can see that um, Bahara, at least in this list, believes that way, as he has another in the board. So he definitely has a matchup in mind that he wants this card. Yeah. All right, we're going to tag this card a Bahara Blast because it is uh, pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd be interested to see what decks end up picking up this in the long run. Decks like Maverick, things like that, where being able to go get this card out of your deck can just shut down what may have been a problem before. Yeah, I'm definitely more interested than I was coming into this, so you've done your job well. <laughs> Where are we at next? Landstill. This is Delthar. Landstill lands with four Okos. So this is basically like a blue-green build of lands. Like the, you know, the, the 35 land deck that you'd expect. It's actually, it's actually, uh, how many lands is it playing? Let's see. Yeah, 35 lands. Huh. Two Field of the Dead, actually. But much of what you'd expect from a lands package. Life from the Loam, Crop Rotation, uh, Exploration, and Mox Diamond. But four Okos, which is pretty common for lands these days. But then two Engineered Explosives, and no Academy Ruin, actually. And three Standstills. I actually really like this deck. Interesting. So walk me through this, because I'm, I'm not sold. Okay, so... Like you said, there's a lot of lands decks that are moving to being like rug-based, where they have Okos, but they're trimming down on like the punishing fires and like the burn, the recursive burn aspects of the deck. So, looking at this, you still have your life from the loams and your crop rotations, and you have your whole suite that you normally see out of lands, including like you noted there's a very obvious like two field of the deads as well as like a blast zone that you can recur over and over right and then instead of having like spot removal it has standstill because that's the only blue cards at least in the main is this oko and this standstill and this is a deck where if you're familiar with like the play patterns of standstill uh they can play a standstill and then force you to break it because they're going to kill you with like a fairy enclave or a mute vault or something like that Right. This lands deck is going to do the same, where it can just play a turn one standstill because of the Mox Diamonds. If you let that resolve, they don't ever have to cast a card to win. Field of the Dead. Because of Field of the Dead. Interesting. So they're going to force you to break it. So the play patterns out of standstill is, eventually you break it, and you give them cards, and they use those cards to counter what you broke it with. Here, it looks like they're using those cards to power more like Life from the Loams, or just to get access to more cards. It's a little bit more of a fair use of it than it is in Standstill, because, like, Standstill, the joke is, you know, you're supposed to break it right away, because you want them to just have to disc- to discard the cards before they have a ton of mana to play everything. Right. But here, I'm not sure you're supposed to do that, because of how this deck works. But it's, it's just a really interesting idea to me that you could play this deck, you, so you have a turn one standstill that you literally just force your opponent to break, because you can answer everything with Blast Zone. And then, at the same time, you could play, like, a turn one exploration, and then a standstill. 
and you know get all your lands on the board faster than your opponent so that if they ever break the standstill you have all the lands to do your stuff this, this, it just seems like a very interesting concept to me yeah no it does now that you're now you're spelling out like that and there's one thing i noticed too there's a buried ruin in this deck and i, I remarked on the unusualness of not seeing uh, academy ruins but now that i'm thinking about it with loam and the, you know the way that lands operates under standstill Right. No, I don't well, know. it's not necessarily understand still, but right. buried ruin plus life from the loam is just kind of academy ruins. Yeah. Like you yeah, don't. It, if the game's it, going slow, slow enough, then it's probably actually better because you're not costing yourself a draw step. Right, and this deck's clearly in the market to go slow. It has standstill in it. It's in the name. Yeah. <laughs> like. Yeah. This is your Oko. This is a deck that is just built to punish you, if you don't have a board when they cast this standstill. Like, what do you do if they have an Oko out? You just have to break it immediately. Yeah. So it's yeah, one... Absolutely. How many decks would play one and a blue draw three cards? Uh, every deck. Right, and this is a deck that is playing copies of that, and they're almost just not even punished for it. This, like, if you put your thumb over the standstill here, and I, I tell you that that's just a lands deck, you assume that I'm putting my your thumb over a punishing fire or something like that. Right. So this deck is a legitimate deck that also gets to run standstill, rather than a standstill deck that needs to build around it. Yeah, that's interesting. It really is. This has a lot of things going for it that I, I think that we could see more of this in the future. Right, yeah. Again, this just looks like a straight-up real deck to me that also gets standstill, and those are always the type of decks that scare me the most when you see a real deck, a deck that could exist on its own, be able to use a powerful niche card in a new way. Yeah, good point. So the next deck that I wanted to point out, not so much because of the deck, but because of... It's a place that I've wound up a couple times when I when I try building these sort of... the typical Strifo deck, but then throwing in a Chalice in there. Uh, this is like a Planeswalker, a Rug Planeswalker Prison deck with two Dax, four Okos, and three Karn the Great Creators. Three Walking Ballistas, three Avery, three Punishing Fire, Chalice, Mox Diamonds. Yeah, so this deck. is Solnox's deck, and it's interesting that there, there's like uh, one cross synergy I really, really like in this deck. What's that? Actually, I guess it's technically more than one cross synergy. There, it's so these planeswalkers, uh, Dak Faden, Karn the Great Creator, and Oko, all have exactly one thing in common. If you read them, and I'm not going to sit here and make you go through the whole thing, it's that they all specifically call out the word artifact. Uh, wow. So Dak Faden steals artifacts. Yep. Uh, Karn shuts off artifacts. And Oko can turn artifacts into 3-3s, three as well as he can swap with artifacts. And if you look down in the artifacts section here, there are <laughs> two main deck liquid metal coatings. Oh, man. So, in combination, that means Karn can... Whatever you liquid metal coating, Karn shuts off all the activated, activated abilities of. Dak can steal, and Oko can turn into an elk. Wow. So you can look at your opponent's... Uh, I'm just trying to think of a... Let's say your opponent plays a Humility. 
and you're like, ah, I don't want to be humility or whatever. I'm just picking a literal card at random. But an omniscience. Your opponent puts in an omniscience but has to pass. And you go, your omniscience is now an artifact. By the way, your omniscience is now an elk. Wow. That is yeah. perfectly legal. Uh, it also combos with the abrades in here as it just turns it into vindicates. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That, that's cool. <laughs> that's really cool. I saw the liquid metal coatings and it's not that unusual to see them with Karn. But right, I, I hadn't even considered the implication of, of Dak or, or Oka. Right, normally, like, I play Karns. I, I have a liquid metal coating in my sideboard, but I saw two main, and I'm like, something's up here. There has to be a reason for this. Uh, and that's pretty cool that you get to use all your plane walk, Planeswalkers in some regard with liquid metal coating. That looks really cool to just be like, uh, I'm going to turn your whatever into this and steal it with Dak. Yeah. Also, four Interplanar Beacon in the sideboard. I never expected to see this card pop up. Oh, no, this card is powerful. Uh, Seems good in this deck, yeah, when you're four Ancient Tombs, two City, a Trader deck, being able to turn your colorless mana into Planeswalker mana. Yep, so I've actually had this card cast against me. It was cast against me, like, the first Legacy tournament I played in that it was legal. Someone was doing something with, like, blue-white Planeswalkers with, like, Rip Helm and stuff. Uh, that had this in it, so it could turn Ancient Tomb mana into casting Teferis and Narsets and stuff like that. Interesting. Um, but it, it is a very powerful card, where once you get the second one of these in play, it's not trivial that every time that you, like, I mean, I play my Dak Faden and kill, you know, steal your rock or something like that, and they kill it, you, you're up to life at the end. And I know it doesn't seem like a lot, but it adds up. There's another card that I kind of expected to see in sideboard, and it's not actually there, but I was just thinking about. Crossing Grip. Like, with regard to interacting with these Breach decks, I haven't seen Grip in a while. Since Top was banned, it's sort of fallen out of favor, right? Yep. But the ability to play Grip in a deck like the Lands deck we just looked at, or the Aggro Loam decks, or this deck, seems seems like it would be good against these Breach decks. Um, it is. Uh, it's a little weird in that because of the way the Breach deck needs to go off, it needs to play Artifacts anyway. Mm-hmm. So any naturalize will actually break it. You don't need the 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 uncounterable aspect is nice, but when they put a lion's eye diamond on the stack the second time or whatever, you can just naturalize the breach. Right. Um, sure. So you don't. It doesn't need to be grip, but you are right that grip has not shown up for a while outside of various lands builds. Yeah. So yeah, when you when you're talking about like interacting with the uh, breach deck. I think we're going to skip it right now, but um, there are the last segment of this podcast is the various types of breach decks that have shown up in in the past couple weeks, and we're probably going to push that off to our combo episode in two weeks, but one thing is that there are a number of these breach decks with Force of Wills in the main, So and, and we're seeing also, like even if you're not playing Force of Will, like some number of Pact of Negation or something like that. Sure. Um it does it is good to help them force through their combo or more importantly to force through their like uh silence effects right uh but if they don't have like a straight out silence effect once they do go for it with the uh LED you can break it cuz obviously they have to discard their hand right yeah gotcha. so if they don't have a silence effect then they are the ability to go through it doesn't need to specifically be cross and grip but you are right cross and grip gets around their ability to interact back at you. So yeah, last up in the deck dump, and this was a crazy deck dump that we we've seen a lot of different decks. So yeah, there's thanks a lot for of hanging new... with us, bro. Thank you so much for doing this again. Oh yeah, no problem. 
I love talking legacy. Prowess burn. Like, so I, I, I have to admit this. I've heard a lot about mono red prowess in, in modern. And I, I wasn't sure if that was just people not wanting to admit that they were playing burn or not. No, it's, but th- it, those are two different decks. It's a distinct deck. Yes, it is a distinct deck. At it least as far as modern shit. goes, burn plays white. Okay. Where it so plays they, like a, a little bit clunkier burn spells. It plays like two mana ones. This one is like the ultimate get them dead deck. This is even faster than burn. But you open yourself up to being like more vulnerable to uh, spot removal. And it looks like this is the same thing ported over into Legacy where this is even faster than Legacy burn. But in exchange for that, you're spending a lot more of your mana on pumping up your guys versus just going directly to the face. Yeah, so what this deck is, it's uh, 18 Mountains, like a burn deck. You've got four Swift Spears, four Soulscar Mage, and four Bedlam Reveler as your creature suite. Sorceries, four Chain Lightning, four Faithless Looting, and four Light of the Stage. So four Faithless Looting, four Light of the Stage, you're talking about velocity. Like, right. You, velocity. It's just about, can am I using my ma- all of my mana every turn for the most? Which is kind of how these um, prowess decks work. Because they inherently benefit off spending your mana on non-creature spells. So every single turn you want all of your lands tapped. Right. So cards like Faithless Looting, where as in a regular deck, Faithless Looting basically only gets used to fuel graveyard things because you're technically down a card when you use it. Here, you are still down a card, but what you're doing is you're pitching your extra lands and you have a... Yeah, you're brainstorming here, except you you end up down a card instead of equal. Uh, but you're also, in addition to brainstorming, if you have a, you know any two of your prowess guys in play, you're also shocking your opponent. Right, and you can play cards, because you're playing Faithless Looting, you play stuff like Main Deck of Braid, because this deck is cold, 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 ice cold, the Chalice. Yeah, that's dead. You can afford to play cards like a Braid, because you can just get rid of them if you're not in the right matchup. Right, and it helps with Lava Darts as well, where sometimes you have exactly enough mana to kill your opponent if you like pitch a Lava Dart, so you get one extra spell out of the, and one extra damage out of the deal. Ah, right. And then also like four Fire Blasts, because you don't have to worry so much about drawing two or three Fire Blasts if you're playing Faithless Looting. Right, you get to pitch those away, uh, as well as, again, Fire Blast, dealing the four straight to the face is... Well, it's always powerful, but it's even more powerful when you have this many prowess creatures. Like, if you think about it and, like, how the games play out, it's not unreasonable for them to go, here's my Swift Spear, or, sorry, here's my Soul Scar Mage, then the next turn go, here's my Swift Spear, bolt you. Uh, so that would be 1, 2, 3, 4, 7. If you crack the fetch, you're suddenly at 12. You're in a legitimate shot of dying the next turn. Because if they attack you, that's two, so you're at ten. And they have three mana to play with. Maybe it was a... uh, Let's just go with Faithless Looting, that's another two damage. A Bolt, that's another five damage. And off of the Faithless Looting, they discarded a Lava Dart. You're just dead. Yeah. Like, it is a deck... you're, You're way more than dead at that point, yeah. Right, and that's turn three. So this is a deck that is playing more like a combo deck than a even a burn deck does, where the kind of joke is that burn deck is the ultimate turn four combo deck. It'll kill you on turn four every single game, but it almost can't kill you on turn three. This is trading the vulnerability to fatal push and things like that for being a turn faster on most occasions. Interesting. 
I kind of really like this deck, man. This is like Blue Red Delver on steroids. Yeah. Is basically what it is, as far as Legacy is concerned. This is those draws out of Blue Red Delver where you thought that you were playing like a match of magic and then you died. Yeah. But it's just distilled down to... It only does that. It has no other angle of attack. This is super interesting. And just really quick for the people listening, the instants are two abraded, four fire blasts, four gut shot, four lava dart, four lightning bolt. If you're a modern player, maybe you know this already. I don't know. But... Well, they don't have access to fire blast. Oh, right, right, right. Um, but I did kind of leave out one thing. Faithless Looting does have one other little aspect in this. of uh, They have Bedlam Revelers. So right. getting those cheaper, faster is always good. Are the Bedlam Revelers played in the modern version too? Uh, they can be, yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, this seems like uh, seems like the probably the the ultimate Bedlam Reveler deck. I can't think of anything that would fuel it better than this. No, thirty instants and sorceries. That seems about yeah. good. Yep. So yeah, that was the last deck I wanted to touch upon. As I mentioned, there's another segment about breach but we're already over an hour and a half of just you and i talking about mtgo deck lists okay thank you so much for doing this zach you saved our ass pinch hitter of the year no problem no problem the tom sometimes you know like i said he's a busy man he's got a kid he's got a job he's got all that like fancy stuff in his life doesn't have time for us anymore we know how it is He he really he sounded really sick too. He sounded like Carson Wentz on the morning of a playoff game. So oof oof. Yeah, he was not he was not having it. Come on, we're not even gonna go with your Jets boy there with his um mononucleosis. Oh jeez. Come on, we have the perfect one. That gif is my favorite gif of all time. <laughs> just him. And they use that gif of him just pointing at the camera, and it says out indefinitely mono. <laughs> <laughs> Sam Darnold, bro. Uh, anyway, I uh, hope Tom feels better. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll get you a nice gift for the uh, Believing Legacy Open this weekend. Yeah, I look forward, forward to it. Yeah, gonna see you there. Yep. Okay. It's, uh, you're doing coverage as we mentioned earlier. Yep, unless anything's changed in the past hour that I haven't checked or hour and a half, that's the plan. Awesome. I, I look forward to watching that after the fact, and I'm glad I get to play in this one. These are. Uh, I mentioned earlier, like, uh, Fight Club, you know, you, Fight Club became the reason to cut your hair short and trim your nails. Like, this is, uh, this is the reason we're playing Legacy at this point, right? Right, to, uh, you know, go to your local Legacy events and, you know, frankly, win them. Yep. Um, I'm looking forward to it, bro. Yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing everyone this weekend. Again, go out. It's at, uh, Gaming Etc. this weekend, I believe, I'm blanking on the date, it's on the 1st, right? Yep. Okay, so I'll see uh, a lot of you guys out there on the first. Super Bowl Eve. Yes, yes. Who you got on that, by the way? 49ers, actually. Same. Yeah. Yep. All right. We can discuss more on Saturday. Yes, yes, we'll be there. Have a good night, everyone. Thanks again, bro. That's a wrap.